Very good. Well, if you, I were to say to you the name Ebenezer, you would think of Scrooge. Scrooge, obviously. Ebenezer Scrooge, the famous Charles Dickens character, bad guy turned good, and uh, that's what the name is associated with. But many people don't know that the name Ebenezer actually is not first given to a, per, uh, to a person, but to a rock. Uh, here's a picture of a rock. It's not actually this rock, but uh, this, I think, is in Devon, the rock you're about to see. Uh, but the rock I'm talking about is uh, found in the Bible. And in the Bible, there's a story about this rock because the people of Israel were under huge pressure. They had lost a particular battle in an area, and they were crying out to God because they were about to be overrun by their enemies. And then they won the battle miraculously after calling out to God for his deliverance and his help. And so their leader at the time, a guy called Samuel, set up a rock uh, called, which he called Ebenezer, and the name literally means the, the rock of help. And, and uh, the, the, the words that he spoke to the people were this, thus far God has helped us. It was to be like a memorial that God had helped them on the journey so far, that, that everything that they had done so far had been by God's help, the Ebenezer rock, and it stood there as a memorial uh, in their nation for whenever you saw it, you knew that the phrase, thus far God has helped us, came back to mind. Thus far God has been with us. And so um, it's just important before we look forward to also do the same thing, to look back and to, as it were, create mini Ebenezers this morning of what God has done amongst us. So why don't you just take a moment and perhaps turn to the person next to you, or if you're not sitting to, with someone around you, behind you, and just share for a moment, how have you seen God's faithfulness in the last nine months, in the last year? How have you seen God being faithful to you? What, what way have you, would you say, thus far God has helped me, in this way has helped me? Why don't you just do that for a second? Turn around. Okay, what I'd like you to do is I need... I need three people, only three, just because we're short on time, but three people to just come up and share your story. Now, I need the, the headlines, not the news, okay? So I don't want, like, from when you were six right the way through today. We, and sadly, I'd love to hear that later. Um, but uh, right now, I just need three people to just come and share the headlines of what God, just to, so that we would love to hear everyone's story, but we can't this morning. Three people, don't crush me in the rush here. <laughs> three, there's one. Let's welcome these guys up as they come. I need two more. They're going to share. There's one. One more. Three. Fantastic. Why don't you guys just give your name and just share what, what, uh, how God's been faithful. Um, God's been really faithful to me in terms of my book called To Influence. I always had a vision for fruit to come out in the marketplace, like the wave coming from the outside in rather than the inside out. And so, for example, this week I'm meeting a, a new client that I've just done three coaching sessions with that came off basically her reading my book and suddenly capturing what kingdom leadership can be in her workplace. So I'm just so grateful to God for the journey that he's done. Hello. Um, 18 months ago, my husband was um, stage four terminal cancer prognosis and his scans are clear now. And uh, not only that, um, I'm six months pregnant. Congratulations, that's uh, God's been so good to me. I come from a family of where my father was in a concentration camp and my childhood was absolutely horrendous. I can't even begin to explain. Um, and God has just been freeing me constantly and even this morning freeing me from all the bags and uh, giving me freedom in every way. So Brilliant. he's good. Oh, so good. Thank you so much. 
Wow. And that's so good. Let's just take a moment to just to thank the Lord. Father, we just thank you for your goodness. Thus far, you have helped us. So many ways through difficulties, through challenges of this year, which we've all faced, you have helped us. And you are our stone of help. We just lay this memorial before you this morning of your goodness. And thank you. As we look forward, we do it in the courage and the strength of what you've done thus far, of how you've brought us thus far. We can go forward. And we just thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Wonderful. Well, we're going to look forward, as we said, and uh, it's really a collaborative work, so we really believe in team leadership, so we've spent uh, hours talking with different leaders of different teams in the church, spent a whole evening with, the, with some prophetic people saying, what's God speaking to you about where we're going as a, as a community? And this kind of distilled version is what we've come uh, out with as we really feel the Lord leading us into. And, and the three phrases which you got on the video, the first is sustained encounter, and that came from this prophetic word uh, from a guy called John who wrote this. 2018 and 19 are going to be significant years for the King's Arms. I see a graphic with a dial, which means a step change for the church in visibility and influence, that we are growing steadily, but particularly for us as a church around sustaining an encounter with God, not just riding a wave, being able to sustain encounters with the Lord and being able to linger longer in His presence. And you know, we love uh, and have talked many times as a church about the fact that when God comes, He gives us gifts, and that we get the privilege as Christians to walk in supernatural gifts that we wouldn't otherwise do, and this hopefully is familiar uh, to you, that we believe that God has poured out His gifts on the church, and, and from the first time that I laid my hands on somebody's back and my hand got hot, and it wasn't because I was sweating and nervous, although I was, um, but it, was, and it wasn't because the person uh, uh, that I put my hand on was overheated, it was because God power had come on us and their back was totally healed. And from that moment, I, I felt a passion that everybody in the church would know what their gifts are and how God has equipped them to play their part in the, in the body of Christ. And 1 Corinthians 12 says, spiritual gifts are given to each of us so that we can help each other. Everyone has a gift. And so if you've joined us and you're not sure what your gifts are, you're in the right place because you might not have faith that you've got gifts, but we do. <laughs> we have an expectation that you have gifts that God has given you that you probably don't even know what they are yet, some of them, and you're part of being part of us is discovering what those gifts are and how you play your part in this community, but also out in the world. And, and no one is too young. You know, I heard a story just this year of uh, a young man who wrote notes of encouragements to his friends at school and put them in, his, in their lockers. And he's, it's brilliant. He's got a gift of encouragement. He's learning how to use it at a young age. And, and no one is too old. And here's a story that someone else uh, wrote. He said, I was 63 in a coffee shop with my wife one day, and I heard a voice saying, you need to go to church. I've been brought up in a very strict home. I was beaten. I was told that boys don't cry. So I went to church and wept for 90 minutes. I went next week and I heard about a narrow way and a wide way. And I realized that I was on the wrong way. And so I gave my life to Jesus. And then I heard about this gift speaking in tongues. And I began to ask God for that gift. And for seven years, I asked God for it. And last week, he gave, it to, he gave the gift to me. And now I speak in tongues. <laughs> I just love that. He's 63. He's now 70. But he's still growing and learning and saying, God, give me more gifts. And so we are passionate about that. God is, you know, God never turns up a party empty-handed. You know, he's not the guy who comes with that bottle of wine. He comes and he brings himself. He's like your favorite uncle. He comes with gifts. And he loves to give gifts to his people. But you know that what the Lord is leading us into is something deeper, which is this. When his presence comes, his presence also comes just because of him, just because of who he is. It's not just about what we can get from him. It's about encountering him himself. 
And this is what 1 Peter 2 says. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. God has chosen us as his special possession. Our first calling before we go out is to go up. Before we minister out there is to minister up there. It's a, it's a calling on each one of us to be ministers to the Lord. That's what priests did. They, they stood before their deity and, and brought worship. And, and, and our God calls us to be that kind of people, to be a priesthood, a, a royal priesthood to God himself. That's our, our calling. And, and uh, you know, there's something about this understanding that breakthrough comes from the presence of God. And you look through history and you see that. Isaiah, who got revelation about the Jesus to come, he, got, he wrote more about Jesus to come than all of the other prophets put together. He got it out of the presence of God. And Daniel, who stood before kings and saw empires come and go, and yet he remained there, he got his strength from the presence of God. And the story of Daniel tells us that. And even Jesus, who was so busy that at points he says that he couldn't even eat. The disciples and he couldn't even eat. They were so busy. It says that he often withdrew to be alone with the Father because he drew his strength from the presence of God. And, and so this calling of worship and ministering to the Lord, we just feel like God is calling us afresh into it. It's not that we haven't done it before, but he's got promises of something deeper, of something more for us this year. And I, and I know for some that, that's difficult and confusing because worship, perhaps for some, is like me with shopping. Uh, you know, when I go shopping with Caroline, two very different things happen. Caroline, when she walks through the shop, she gains strength. And it's like strength comes upon her. She's like, oh, look at the colors and the textures, and the, this could go with that outfit. And, and it's like energy comes upon her in the stores. And it's just amazing to see as she walks around. The more she shops, the more energy she gets. For me, something very different happens. As I walk into a store, it's like the energy drains out of my shoes. And, and, I, and, I, and my feet start to drag. This is, this is true, isn't it? And sometimes she says, like, we're literally, she'll turn to me, she'll say, I'm not already. I say, what, what? She's like, we literally walked across the threshold of the shop and you're already dragging your feet. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. Yeah, dragging my feet. And, and suddenly, you know, a staircase seems like an insurmountable obstacle to go upstairs and lifting things off the hanger. I just got no strength. It's just like, and all I can think of is, where are the chairs? Where are the chairs? I'm just looking for the chairs because I just want, I've just got to sit down. But there are no chairs. Anyone else notice that? I don't have chairs. Why? Because I don't want you to sit there. They want you to buy stuff. And you can't buy stuff when you're sitting down. So for you, worship perhaps is a little bit like shopping for me. You look around and you see other people engaging, but you're not really sure what we're doing here. Why are we doing this? And particularly if you're not a believer here this morning, you might find it very confusing and, and this has been something that people have wrestled with through, through the centuries. And a guy called uh, C.S. Lewis, who wrote The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, the Narnia series, uh, he really wrestled with this. And he was really agitated by it. Actually, he was annoyed by it. And he would read the Bible where it would talk about praising God, and it would annoy him. And he was like, what kind of God needs this? And, and, and particularly the Psalms, where it's always praise God, praise God, praise God. He'd be like, well, why? Why should we praise God? And then what really wound him up was when God himself said, you need to praise me. And that really wound him up. And this is what he wrote. He says, what kind of God is he who incessantly demands that his people tell him how great he is? 
He's saying, you know, if, if we demand praise, we're, then we're needy. Or surely God is the same. And, you know, it's like uh, for us, you know, every year we have a group of interns who come in, serve the church, grow in leadership, give a year to that. And imagine, you know, we've just got a new group come in, a fantastic group, and uh, like last year, a brilliant group of young people come to serve as interns. But imagine you met one of them after the first week and said, well, you know, how was your first week? And, and they're like, well, yeah, it's okay. And you say, what do you mean? Well, why? Why was it only just okay? Well, you know, were the people mean to you? No, 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 they're great people, and I love the people. No, 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 no. So why was it just okay? Well, there was this one thing that happened. What happened? What happened? Well, there's just this, it was a bit odd, and maybe it's me, but... But, you know, it was a bit strange because like, in the first week, you know, you, as interns, we all had to queue up outside Simon's office and, and we go in one by one and we kneel on the floor and we just tell him how great he is. <laughs> and, you know, it was a bit awkward, and, but we all did it. And you'd be like, what? <laughs> yeah, no, 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 that's what happens as interns. You go in and kneel. This is an illustration, by the way. This isn't what actually happens. By the way, this has never happened, nor will ever happen. It's just an illustration for the point of the tape. This is an illustration not to be taken out of context. If that happened, though, you would think, that is weird. I thought I knew Simon, but how fragile his ego must be that he needs the interns to kneel before him and tell him how great he is. You'd think that was crazy. You'd come and have words, wouldn't you? In fact, some of you, even though it's an illustration, want to have words. You're like, <laughs> is that not the same as it is for God? And, and this is what uh, C.S. Lewis, though, discovered. And, I, and I'll read this quote. It's, it's a long quote, but it's worth reading. But the most obvious factor about praise, whether of God or anything, strangely escaped me. I thought of it in terms of compliment, approval, and the giving of honor. I had never noticed that all enjoyment spontaneously overflows into praise unless shyness or the fear of boring others is deliberately brought in to check it. The world rings with praise, lovers praising their mistresses, reading, readers their favorite poet, walkers praising the countryside, players praising their favorite game, praise of weather, wines, dishes, actors, motors, horses, colleges, countries, historical personages, children, flowers, mountains, rare stamps, rare beetles, even sometimes politicians or scholars. I had not noticed either that just as men spontaneously praise what they value, so they also spontaneously urge others to join them in praising it. Isn't she lovely? Wasn't it glorious? Don't you think that is magnificent? The psalmists, in telling everyone to praise God, are doing what all men do when they speak of what they care about. I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. It is the appointed consummation. It is not out of compliment that lovers keep on telling one another how beautiful they are. The delight is incomplete until it is expressed. It is frustrating to have discovered a new author and not tell anyone about it, how good he is, to come suddenly to the turn of the road upon some mountain valley of unexpected grandeur and then to have to keep silent because the people with you care for it no more than for a tin can in a ditch, to hear a good joke and to find no one to share it with. Do you get it? <laughs> praise is our highest joy because God is the greatest good. And to praise him actually completes that joy. It's like when you, you see, and you've probably seen it in many movies, where a, a love, someone is telling someone how much they love them, but nothing comes back. 
it's kind of frustrating, isn't it? And I've just saved you a lot of money and time because that's pretty much the plot of every romantic comedy. <laughs> the, the, the one tells another how much they love them, but nothing comes back. And some of you have even felt experience in life, the pain of that. And yet, when that other person responds to that love and gives love back, what happens? It's like the sparks fly and something is completed. And it's the same as that because the universe has been crying and God himself has been crying out, I love you, I care for you, I made you in my image, you're my special possession, I love you and I brought you to myself. And if nothing comes back, something's not right. But when it does, then something gets completed. The circuit gets made, as it were, and so love and the love that powers the universe can flow, and that's what worship is. It's when we come into his presence and we come to him and we tell him how great and glorious he is and we marvel again. In a way, like a viewing a painting or more, but more than that, more intimate, more personal than that, and at the same time, we hear his cry to our hearts. That's what worship does, and the Lord is saying, this year, he's going to take us deeper to understand these things. And, and so much also happens when we worship. You know, so much more than just the transaction between us and God. And the Lord promises us this. And um, a couple of weeks ago, Yvonne brought this powerful prophetic word. And just to summarize it, uh, Israel uh, were un, in trouble again. And uh, King, Jehoshaphat, king Jehoshaphat was king. And they had three armies coming against them. And he prays a prayer, which is a great prayer to pray when you're in that sort of situation. For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us, he prayed. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are fixed on you. Anyone else ever prayed that prayer? <laughs> I do not know what to do, but my eyes are fixed on you. And this is what happened. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah. And he said, listen, all of Judah, listen, inhabitants of Jerusalem, and listen, King Jehoshaphat. Thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid, do, more, do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours but God's. And when they began to sing and praise, the Lord set an ambush against the men of Amnon, of Moab and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah. And so they were all routed, for the men of Amnon and Moab rose up against each other, and they all helped to destroy one another. This divine strategy came out of worship <laughs> where God says, this battle is not yours, it's mine. And as they worshipped, he released freedom to them. And, and we have seen that time and time again. And I just feel like God is going to take us, because as a nation and as, a community, as communities and as the nations, there is turmoil. There, are, there is a need for solutions that just can't come from earth. We've tried everything and nothing works. You might find the same in your marriage relationship or in your family relationship or in your business or work relationship. There are things that just get stuck and the only way out is worship. It's as we worship and turn ourselves to him, we find that God unlocks things that in other ways can't be unlocked. And I was reminded this morning of this building, how many years ago when we were looking for buildings, we'd put offers on eight buildings and could not find a place that was right for us and none of them were accepted. And we even put an offer on this building twice and it was refused. Uh, and yet uh, one of my friends kept saying to me, Simon, that building on Ampton Road, that is the building for King's Arms. I just know it. I just know that's our building. I was like, I think you might be right, but what can I do? We can't, they won't sell it to us. I mean, there's nothing we could do. We're stuck here. They won't take our offer. We cannot give them what they want. There's nothing we can do. It's completely stuck. 
And he said, we just got to pray. And so uh, what we did as a team is we came down here one rainy afternoon and we uh, prayed and worshipped at the gate. And we even anointed the gate with oil. I'm not sure why, but it just seemed like, what else do you do? <laughs> and we anointed the gates with oil and we prayed. And I think it was, not, it was either that week or a week after, not long after that, uh, my friend again was driving past and he felt God say to him, contact the owner. And uh, he said, he was like, I don't even know the, how, to, how to contact the owner. And he knew his name and he knew the company he worked for. And so he kind of made up an email address. He just put the name together with the company and thought, well, that must be roughly right. And sent an email saying, hey, have you, would you reconsider? I think our church would like to build your, buy your building if it's still available. And uh, the guy emailed back, I think within a day or two, saying, firstly, how did you get my email address? This is my private email address. How did you get this address? And secondly, actually, we have reconsidered and we are putting the property back on the market and we would be interested in selling to you. And that unlocks the whole thing. There's something about learning these things that I feel God is going to lead us into. The, the, the second uh, uh, thing in this whole area is uh, around the lead initiative. And uh, this is what it says in uh, Matthew 20. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down, she asked a favor of Jesus. What is it you want, he asked. She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine might sit at your right hand and the other at your left. Jesus said, you don't know what you're asking. Can you drink the cup that I'm going to drink? And when the ten other disciples heard about it, they were indignant with these two brothers. Jesus called them together and he said, you know the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. Their officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And, and Jesus came and modeled this extraordinarily different leadership, because the leadership of his day was a mess. I mean, it was people promoting themselves and seeking stature and favor and finance, and that's why they were leaders and Jesus came and did something totally different. And his disciples, James and John, learned a few things in this being the object lesson of this story. They learned, firstly, if your mother says she wants to get you promoted, say no next time. Don't let her do it because I can imagine the conversation afterwards. Mother, do not ever do anything like that. Everyone hates us now. Oh, no, boys, it was fine. No, it was not fine. It was awful. And, and she'd be like, no, 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 just don't tell your father. You know, so don't, don't let your mum do that. And the second thing they learned is that Jesus was bringing something revolutionary onto the planet. He was bringing a, a leadership style that no one had seen before. And, and just like Jesus' day, people are crying out for a different type of leadership. You know, that we are seeing organizations uh, of all natures being shaken and, and leaders falling from government to the marketplace to business to, to education to even in the church. We are seeing leaders fall and it seems like everyone's got a skeleton in the closet and there's such a cynicism about leadership today because of that and and there's something that God is wanting to do is is use us to as part of the solution to raise up a different kind of leader there is a unique cultural moment going on where where people are looking for leadership someone of integrity to stand up and lots of others are doing things but we feel like God wants us to take play our part to be more intentional about raising up leaders, to be more intentional about training and equipping each one of us to play our part in the marketplace. What does it look like to have leaders who lead like Jesus today 
to model something. And, and at a time when the, the cultural landscape has totally changed, the moral landscape has changed. You know, you know, when I grew up, if you lied, people lied, but they knew it was wrong, but they did it anyway. But they knew it was wrong. Today, people don't even think it's wrong. They lie, and, and the only way it's wrong is if you get caught. That if you get caught, then it was wrong. If you don't get caught, you were smart. That, that is the moral landscape that we're finding around us. And, 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 and what used to be good is now bad, and what was bad is now good. There's a total shift in what, what is going on in our nation and the nations. And you can see that many of us feel disorientated in that place. Anyone feel disorientated? What, what used to be right is now wrong. And, and, and yet, at the same time, even while that's going on, God is calling us to raise up leaders and release them into the marketplace to model a different type of way, of, a different way of doing business and a different way of leading in education and a different way of even leading in the church. What does that look like? And, uh, you know, even a, a few years ago, one of, I drove into King's house with one of my sons and, and he said, Dad, why haven't you got a car parking space with your name on it? I mean, you lead the church. Sure, there should be some privileges. Why don't you have a car parking space with your name on it? And it was interesting because the things that I take for granted, we just don't lead like that. That's not who we are. We're not looking, we don't use this as um, uh, promotion. I mean, you know, some of you might think seeing my face on the video is a good thing. It never gets any easier. I mean, it's just awful. I mean, it really, if you can avoid it, just avoid it. It's just awful. You know, it's, it's not about that. I, uh, and anyway, if I had one, somebody would rip it down. <laughs> because everyone knows that's not how we lead here. But I realize this is, I've got to teach and train that we lead in a different way. That Jesus taught us to lead as servants, not as those who lord it over other people. That our job is to lay our lives down and use our, our leadership and our position to lift people up and connect people together and, and get this thing working. What does it look like for each of us to live as leaders like that? And so um, we're launching this lead initiative, and Wendy Mann's going to step forward to push us forward in that. And there'll be lots of news about that coming. But, uh, yeah, so there's a key area we feel like God is calling us into is leadership and the raising up of leaders. And then the last thing is this uh, tsunami of love. And you guys will remember, if you were around last year, how... Uh, we were just so impacted by this prophetic word, and I'll read it to you again. Uh, I felt God say that he's about to loosen an explosive way. Uh, The picture I have for you guys is that you guys are about to move into a season of a tsunami of his love, that this tsunami will come violently and into every part of the community, the darkest, the deepest, the hidden places. I felt that when this season hits, it will reach not just the outcast, but criminal underworld, the occult, the new age, gangs, you name it. There is no one who can outrun or run from the love of God. Just picture the effects of the tsunami on the town, the city, and get ready. And we just really resonated with that word. And we've sought to run after that and see what the Lord will do. And those of you around will know we created these coins, which have been brilliant tools to help us partner with showing acts of kindness and love and generosity, but leaving a message behind, leaving something behind. So we haven't got to explain the whole thing. We can just give people these coins. And if you haven't picked them up, you can get them at the end in the, in the foyer. And it's brilliant. I think we've got 400 recorded stories. And I know some of people don't even send their stories in, so there's many more things have happened. But we're just feeling this year, this is, this is time to really accelerate again and to see God use uh, us to partner with this tsunami of love. And I've just been so thrilled to hear the stories of what the Lord is doing. Uh, I remember the, one of the first ones that Caroline and I gave away was in um, a restaurant in London. And there was a guy there that we really just felt something for, connected to. So we 
we gave a tip uh, on the card at the end, as we always do. But then we, we had, I had 10 pounds in my wallet, so we gave him 10 pounds with a coin, and we said, this is for you, because we believe that God loves you, and he wants you to know today, you are special, and this is, so this is for you. And then we, we left, and he said, thank you so much, and then we left. And I, but then I had to go to the, to the bathroom, so I went back in, went downstairs, came back, and as I came back out, out I saw the guy with the coin and the 10 pounds still in his hand. So this is like three or four minutes later, and he was talking to another waitress, and he said to her, they said this was for me. They gave this to me. And it just made me realize, you know, I think when we're part of a community like this, which is so generous and so kind and so faithful to one another and pray for one another, we just forget, I think, how so many people have never had that. They've never known that. There's some people that you rub shoulders with at work who have never had anyone pray for them before. If you pray for them, you are the only person who prays for them. Their parents don't pray for them. Their grandparents don't. No one prays for them. No one has. Some people, they have never been shown kindness before. They've either earned it or they've not, not got it. And that's how they view the world. And so they get blown away when someone shows a spontaneous act of generosity that has no strings attached. They're, they're immediately thinking, what do you want from this? And when there's nothing, they just can't, they've got no grid for it. You can see the cogs turning. This doesn't make any sense in my worldview. And we just feel like God wants us to keep doing what we're doing. Keep doing what we're doing. I, I love the, the story of uh, uh, someone that came in just a few uh, weeks ago. Someone went into a florist shop and they said, I wrote a card and put an overpayment, more than I owed in, and I wrote some words of affirmation. And the woman actually wrote through the website and she said this, uh, the night before my shop was trashed and burgled and that card came the day after at exactly the right time for me. (laughs) I think, wow, we do what we do, but God does what he does. Because a week later, maybe it wouldn't have meant so much, but on the very day after she got burgled, she got an encouragement from someone to say, you're doing a great job and here's some more money to help you. Uh, Femi gets the award for, award for the highest. He said this, I offered to pay for a fellow passenger's coffee as the air hostess wanted payment only in euros and not sterling. The man was grateful and I gave him a tsunami of love coin at 28,000 feet, explained to him to pass on the good work. <laughs> so there's a challenge, if you can beat 28,000 feet, then you're going to get the award for the highest coin. But it's just brilliant, isn't it? to see how as we, God is on the move. He is the one who's pouring out his love, but we are the ones who get to partner with him. That we're, we're not just sitting around waiting for eternity to come, that we have a job to do. That we are coming together, we gather together to feel, to experience, to receive his love. But he wants the people who just get overflow, who just overflow and then pour it out around them. And this is what Sandra wrote prophetically for us. I felt God saying encounters with love will lead people into hope and hope will bring people into faith. Many in our town desperately need hope encounters, need hope and encounters with love will ignite that hope and that hope will lead them to a place where they can come to faith. And there's so many different things we want to do uh, around this and uh, continue reaching into the Middle East and, and learning more about how we get uh, the love of God displayed on the internet through YouTube and Vimeo and other places. So there's so many things that we want to do this year, but the heart of it is saying, God, we believe you are pouring out your love on the planet and we want to partner with you. We want to join with you on your great mission. So those are the three things, sustained encounter, we really want to partner with God as he helps us to raise up leaders 
and we really want to see his tsunami of love continue to flow. And we feel like God has spoken to us and promised us that that's what he's going to do.